0: Hi, y'all. Welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. So I know I promised y'all that you would be hearing from Kelly Kristen Jones around mid-October in our last episode, but life happens, and it's fall, and people get sick. So we had to reschedule, but it's all worked out, and I'm happy I got a chance to talk to Kelly yesterday. It's Halloween weekend, so busy times for me and the fam, The kids had Spirit Week at school last week, you know, Crazy Socks Day, Twin Day, Revolutionary War Day, etc. And they somehow have a four-day weekend, whereas me and my husband do not have a four-day weekend, so it's been a challenging week. I had a mini-breakdown Thursday night when I realized I did not have enough time to make their costumes. And my partner stepped in to save me from a downward spiral and took the kids to Walmart to buy their costumes. Now this is a Halloween fail in Athens where even the adults spend like a month getting ready for the Wild Rumpus Parade. And I can feel the judgment in the air from you guys right now. Just stop it y'all, seriously. Sometimes we have to go to Walmart and working parents who are artists have to make some sacrifices. So the kids' costumes were sacrifice number one this week. And then for Sacrifice Number Two. So I was in Atlanta for a full day of art yesterday doing what Joe Camusa has called the podcast doubleheader. I talked with Kelly for Peachy Keen, as you're about to hear. Checked out some new work uh, by Katya Tepper up at the Contemporary, which was awesome, and new work at the Hathaway Gallery. And then I went to hear Amy Pleasant, Sarah Hobbs, and Hannah Israel talk about their simultaneous shows at White Space and White Spec. And then at the end of all that, I sat down with Joe Camusa and Matthew White as a guest on their local art podcast, Brain Fuzz, which we had the pleasure of recording in Susan Bridge's incredible home, her art collection, wow, serious home goals. So we had a fun chat about my work, and we also talked about some of this parent as artist stuff. So I hope you all check that um, Brain Fuzz episode out soon. Anyway, back to the point here. Mom guilt. So while I was gone, I missed my son's taekwondo tournament. And so to make it up to him, he's my guest editor on the podcast today. So say hi, Jules. Hi, hi, hello. So Jules, can you tell my listeners what happened at the taekwondo tournament yesterday?
1: Well, I was doing really good and... I won a first place trophy for forms, and I won a third place trophy for sparring.
0: Oh my goodness. A third place sparring trophy and a first place forms trophy. And you have these tro- f- these uh, trophies here.
1: Yeah, and this is the sound of them rubbing together, and this is the sound of them clinking together.
0: Awesome. And do you want to describe what they look like to the
1: listeners? They have a, a gold well but they, it looks like uh, they say first place forms and third place sparring, and they have um, a statue of a of people um jumping and doing a kick.
0: There you have it. From my Taekwondo champion,
1: yeah. Jules.
0: Jules, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for being my guest editor today.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Okay. So sweet. Thanks to Jules for that. He's excited about podcasting now because he and his brother are into the Finn Caspian podcast, which I highly recommend to parents of 6 to 10-year-olds. So that's why I've given him the honorary title of guest editor for today. It's a shout out to Finn Caspian, where the son of the host is guest editor of the show. And now back to Kelly Kristen Jones. I sat down on the floor in Kelly's pretty much empty studio with her at the Atlanta Contemporary yesterday morning. Her current body of work is out at the Framers and is about to be hanging up at Sandler Hudson Gallery in Atlanta. So y'all should definitely go see the work in person The opening is this Thursday, November 2nd, from 7 to 9 p.m. Here's Kelly telling us a little bit about this series and how she, a Yankee by birth, now a converted Southerner, ended up doing a series that focused on Confederate war markers. (laughs) came from Chicago. Is that your hometown? Yes. Or is that just where you went to school? No, well, both.
2: So I grew up in Chicago, stayed there for undergrad, worked a little, went to graduate school there. Um, And Where did you go to undergrad and grad school? I went to a very small private school for undergrad in the suburbs in Wheaton, Illinois, and then worked for a couple years as a high school photography teacher after that. And it was really during that gig, those three years um, that everything just kind of seemed to click. I mean, I was a I was a photography major in undergrad, um, but I love teaching and I just found myself more and more committed to this idea of both teaching and being an artist. So you were teaching in a high school that had a dark room? Yes. Okay, Old so school. that's really exciting. Yeah, it was fun. Um, the kids loved it. Uh, you know, these are kids who did not grow up shooting film mm-hmm. And so like day one I mean I remember my first photo One class where I realized kids were opening the backs of film cameras to look at the pictures. So was like, <laughs> okay, wait a second. let me start over and really explain how this all works. So it was it was a really great um, a great place to teach a really great place for me to learn how to be a teacher um, and how to be a better image maker. Um, it was a great couple of years. So you were s- still making a lot of work while you were teaching? I was making quite a bit of work. Okay. Um, I was making both, you know, shooting f- some film, but also doing a lot of digital. Okay. <clears throat> they had a really nice, really great um, facilities and equipment at this private school that I sort of I lucked out by scoring a teaching job there. And, and the other teachers really encouraged me to pursue graduate school. Okay. Um, so after that, I applied and um, went to School of the Art Institute in Chicago. Sweet. Yeah, it was awesome. So was did awesome. you,
0: did you think you were, were, you were going for your MFA where you wanted to teach in college? Yes. So were you done with high school after that? I
2: was, you know, <laughs> I loved I teaching high, high school. High school I, uh, um, but, you know, I'd sort of look around and see these career high school teachers and think, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, you're, these people are amazing. I'm not sure if I can do that. Um, but, but, This idea of academia and being involved and being a part of that kind of teaching, learning community certainly appealed to me. So, yeah, I mean, the goal, the idea in going to grad school was absolutely to teach upper level. Mm -hmm. Um, So did SAIC and, you know, taught as a TA while I was there, made a lot of work. I mean, that was like a shock to my system to enter into this like real I mean, like, I was in art school, you know, and um, coming from kind of these smaller communities and smaller school systems, um, this was, it was like big time. So they have a big photo program there? They do, yeah. And, And what's really great about SAIC and what was really scary and shocking about SAIC is... You know, it's very um, interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. So you go there. I mean, I think by the end of grad school, I was like the only person in photo still making photographs. Yeah. So they really encourage you to kind of expand and, you know, take classes in other quote unquote departments. I mean, those boundaries are really blurry there. Right. So I think that's kind of how all of the academia is I think going. definitely um, art school has shifted in that direction Um SAIC seemed to really kind of be a front runner at that time. And again, at least for me, it was sort of shocking. And how is their collection there? I mean, I know their painting collection a little bit more, but I'm not, I'm hazy on their photography. Well, the museum, so the school is very much connected to the museum, right. which was a huge advantage to be able to, you know, to be given permission to sort of run around in the back hallways at the museum. And that, when I was there, was really... So um, you can go in there at like off hours depending on kind of what department you're in. there's the a lot of there's a lot of like there's a lot of really great access okay. um, to both people and collections and archives and things like that. And when I was there was, you know, the um, new contemporary wing had just opened and it was kind of this really amazing reset in terms of both the school and the museum and their commitment to contemporary and cutting edge art new media. Um, and like I said, just really sort of interdisciplinary approaches to both making and curating. Um, it was, you know, it was eye-opening, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt totally out of my league. Um, and that was that was great, that kind of pressure to keep up. Do you think and, it was the other students that you were feeling that pressure from or from the faculty? I mean, everybody. Both? You know, it's, it's a place that just sort of... Um, <sighs> I don't know how to explain it. There's an energy there and a kind of hunger for new and, and like I said, really kind of um, avant-garde approaches to these, these questions and these um, problems in contemporary art world. And so it was really great to um, explore these new ways of making within the institution, but then also outside. So Chicago has... An incredible art scene and I very much tried to take advantage of that while I was there going to galleries going to apartment galleries and you know these sort of guerrilla art initiatives all across the city um, being a part of that art school you know that art school kid culture was um, was hugely beneficial to my own kind of education and Art awakening. I mean, what kind of so artists were
0: you looking at? Like, do you remember any particular artists, like, really being a big influence on you when you were in college? There. Well,
2: so when I was, um, I mean, I think about the portfolio that I sort of applied with, and it was very much a straight kind of documentary approach to photography and to subject matter. Um, I, I didn't show up with black and white prints, but like, essentially, it was just this really formal kind of portraiture and storytelling in, again, this very formal documentary way. And, and I still love that kind of work and photography and storytelling, but it was there that I really was sort of exposed to some of the problems inherent in quote unquote truth telling with, right. with photography. Um, and so a lot of faculty there, a lot of my, um, my colleagues there, Push that, You know, they really challenged me on some of these issues. And, um, you know, I had great studio visits, not only with faculty at SAIC, but um, with other artists in the city of Chicago that would come by and stroll through galleries. And so I was just constantly being exposed to not only other ways of making photographs, but other ways of engaging in art, painters and Filmmakers and taking classes in sound and um, you know performance art and it it just was totally overwhelming and amazing and I feel like it's taken me some years after graduating um, to like understand. When did you graduate? Twenty twelve. So I graduated, yeah, twenty twelve, and moved down here to Georgia immediately. And for, to do the um,
0: visiting artist program at UGA?
2: Yeah, so I applied and, and was accepted to be the post-MFA mm. faculty photography fellow. Don't try to say that three times <laughs> fast. <laughs> it's okay. a tongue twister. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I, I, within weeks of graduating, you know, of sort of taking down my thesis show, I was packing up my little Prius and driving to Athens, Georgia. I have a Prius too.
0: <laughs> and you know, I just read last night. Um, this is a tangent, but that Elaine de Kooning was the first visiting art professor at UGA. Really?
2: Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's that so either. Funny.
0: And I'm a UGA alum, but I just oh, that's funny. Found that that's out cool. last night. Very Isn't cool. that interesting? I like that. Yeah, hmm. a little little trivia for you. Interesting. So, how was that year at UGA? You lived in Athens. I lived Coming in from Athens. Chicago.
2: Came down from Chicago. I got a little tiny apartment in right in the center of downtown Athens on Broad. Mm -hmm. Um, So like my building would shake on game days, you know, like I was fully in. I wanted to totally experience life in, you know, College town in Georgia. So I was oh I can't remember now. It's the building. There's an Indian restaurant on the first floor. Okay, it's like right across from the Globe. Okay, Um, it was. I was told that it was built to be a parking deck, and then they converted it to (laughs) apartments. It was a cool building.
0: I liked it. I was at the top floor. Um, so you grew up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Is this was this your first time living in the southeast? And how had you been to the southeast before? What was so your
2: so I I think it's funny. Um, I had not spent much time at all in the south southeast southwest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Midwest girl, and I had been to Atlanta for like a conference in undergrad. I think I can't even remember. Um, you know, a long weekend kind of thing. But really had no notion of what life was like in Atlanta, in Georgia, certainly not in Athens. Did you find there to be any culture shock? Or was oh, it absolutely. Pretty yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Um, the whole year was shocking really? to me. I mean, it was a wonderful year. And I learned a lot. I established friendships that I that continue today. Um, I am still in Georgia, so I wasn't, you know, right. shocked out of the southeast. But... Um, Yeah, I feel like I was constantly walking around with like my mouth ajar, just trying to understand, sometimes quite literally trying to understand folks at gas stations or things like that. What did they just say? Oh, I can't remember. I mean, it just, you know, um, what what I will say is that I learned a lot about myself and some of the... um, the stereotypes that I had no idea I carried until I got here. Right. And, um, and it, that was pretty humbling. I mean, I, I realized um, that I definitely had some kind of negative assumptions about life in the South, art in the South. Right. Um, did you Living find any of those South. things to be true,
0: though? Like, any of those stereotypes to kind of play, like, you're like, well, maybe I wasn't completely wrong about that?
2: I mean, there are, in fact, you know, large Confederate flags right. at, at all sorts of intersections. And <laughs> um, people do, in fact, say, bless her heart when they mean anything but. And folks like football, uh, you know, I right. mean, none of these are, are bad or, not or going negative. Out yeah. Right, Um I think I was just, it it was so fun to me to, um, to like have this chance to step into this really smart, savvy community that was also unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. So, like going from this very um, sharp, intellectual, savvy community that is and was School of the Art Institute in Chicago, and immediately jumping into another wonderful sort of academic bubble, right. but one that existed in such a different space, in such a d- different landscape. Um, and it Essence just, is a bubble. I mean, the whole town. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, a lot of the friends that I made there were not students or faculty, they were like, you know townies. Yeah. Um, cuz that was my age group. You know, <laughs> like I I what I remember most about Athens is that I always felt really old. Like yeah. wherever I walked, really old and like not dressed well enough or something. Like it just was this funny place. I don't know. I feel like
0: Athens is permanently stuck in the 90s in terms of oh, fashion. Oh, that's funny. That's, that's funny. Yeah. It's like a Portlandia situation There's, with fashion.
2: Yeah, there is this kind of like boho 1992 kind of thing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, But I like that. I mean, that was, it was a good place. The work I made there was a really kind of funny um, study of and reaction to, I think, my culture shock. So, mm-hmm. like, I made this series of portraits of sorority girls while okay. I was there. And um, that, too, was really great because um, I think that a lot of these young women, totally upended and disproved these stereotypes that I didn't even realize I had until I was, you know, Long. hanging hanging the work up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was really interesting. you know, we sort of could swap stories. Um, and I don't know, I felt I felt a real kinship with these women by the end. Um, what's funny is the day I moved to Athens was, the first day of rush week. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, carrying these boxes up the stairs and seeing all these young women in like matching, you know, I just was like, what, this is Mars. Like, what is happening? Everyone's in white. Right. Um, and so, I don't know. I like that by the end of my time in Athens, and I was really only there nine months, um, by the end of it, uh, it was sort of full circle. And like I said, there was a kind of, a very strange bond between the Chicago Democrat photographer and these <laughs> and these young women, um, some of whom were art majors. I mean, I had some in my classes too. Right. So, yeah. So you, at the end of
0: your time in Athens, what made you decide to come to Atlanta and not go back to Chicago? Yeah,
2: it was, it's funny. People ask me that a lot, and I never quite know what to say. I mean, part of it. Um, was that I would escape to Atlanta often while I was living in Athens. I mean I'm a big city girl and right. so Atlanta was my closest big city and I liked sort of I liked getting to know artists here in Atlanta and going to shows um, I also think that my work is always so closely connected to where I live and where I make that I was, I was a little nervous to go straight back to Chicago. I mean, I liked, um, I liked exploring these different places and landscapes. Um, Athens was important because it, it sort of assured me that I could make work not in Chicago. Like, I wasn't really sure before I moved away um, whether I could still, like, can I still make photographs if I'm not on the west side of Chicago, where and that's where I'd made all my work previously. And in making work with these young women in Athens, like the answer was yes, yes I can. Um, and then you kind of get off in that direction. Like I could see not wanting to suddenly, like you've really gone in a kind of southern direction with your yeah, work. Yeah, and and I was excited about it. I mean, right. it was sort of invigorating. I was afraid that if I went immediately back to Chicago, I would begin to make the same kind of work. Yeah. Um, I you know I had a, I had several opportunities to do other short term teaching. Positions in other places, but um, that's a hard thing to do. Um, again, maybe because my my roots are in this kind of documentary approach, um, I wanted the chance to stay for a while and kind of get to know people and place and myself in a place. Um, so Atlanta seemed like a good, you know, half step away from Athens like half step forward um and and sort of protecting myself from stepping backwards by going back home or or going to another kind of teaching bubble. So do you,
0: but did you come straight to teaching at Georgia
2: State after that? No, uh-uh. So I came and I was um I worked at a coffee shop for a couple <laughs> weeks. I applied to lots of jobs. I um I ended up you know, I, I was involved in some programming, so I was a mint leap year during that transition, which was a really nice way to sort of help and protect me as I transitioned into the art world here. Um, certainly helped connect me. And then I ended up um, working in galleries. And so before starting to do any adjunct work, um, I was I was working in galleries. What were you doing, like gallery assistant Yeah, positions? so I was... Um, A gallery manager at Hagedorn Foundation Gallery, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, That was up in Buckhead. And that was another really, really great way to learn about the art world here in Atlanta, but also in general. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is I think this was me sort of testing the waters, teaching and gallery work and. You know, I did some design work on the side as a freelance. I mean, I just had lots of little part-time gigs, mm-hmm. as frankly, a lot of us artists end up doing. Right. Um, and so that was really great to meet collectors, to, you know, like I said, have this kind of insider access to how this all works. You know, you know? I worked in galleries in New York, and I found it to be very disheartening as an artist. <laughs> there were there were some hard <laughs> days, certainly. Um but I, I would say more than discouraging or disheartening, it, it educated me. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is how it works. All right, well, let me figure out how to do this. Um, so after Hagedorn, I worked for a couple years at Sandler Hudson. And while I was there, that was sort of a part-time job. And so while I was there, I started teaching at GSU mm-hmm. a couple classes. So got back into the the teaching ring. Yeah. And so now are you doing that full-time? So I actually took this semester off. I'm not teaching at GSU. Um, This, I love teaching. I, um, you know, I find that I really like teaching in a kind of informal or non-traditional venue. And so finding other ways of teaching and speaking with students is what I really love to do. Frankly, I also wanted time before this show Got at Sandler Hudson to, to like figure things out with my work. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah. how
0: long have you been working on this body of work that, and I've seen this before because I came to your Seek studio yeah. visit, which yeah. is how I became
2: aware of you. Yeah. And how long has this been going on, this series? I think that this, the seed first was sort of planted with this body of work, um, about a year ago, so not okay. not very long ago, and it's it's certainly sort of uh, taken new um, or I've taken new approaches to what the work looks like and how it is sort of finalized. But this idea of creating new memorials at historic sites around Atlanta, around Georgia, um, really first started like haunting me about a year ago. Since I started so a year, this. it's hard to think about
0: like. When I look back on my sketchbooks, and I feel like I only spent a year on something, but when I look back to my sketchbooks, I'm like, oh, but wait, I had that idea like two like and a four half years, years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, like, that's true too. You know, like I see how or where this started in other work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't
0: know. I, so how or where did it start in other work? I mean, you think is it related to your?
2: It's not related to your sorority girl. No, pictures. that was a that was a funny one-off. Okay. Um... <clears throat> I think the sorority girl work was my way of assuring myself that I could, like, jump into a new place and make work. Okay. <laughs> um, but, no, I think, it's, I think it's really related to even my thesis work in Chicago. I mean, I was making um, portraits of neighbors in vacant lots on mm. the west side of Chicago for my thesis. And at the time, I would have said the most important part of that work was the subject, was the person. And, and they are a very important part of that work. But when I look back and really start to think about it and connect these other threads, um, it was also very much about the place and the space mm-hmm. and how that related or didn't to the larger like city landscape. So did you do a lot of research on these vacant lots? So, as you were so I grew up in a neighborhood full of vacant lots. Okay. And in grad school, um, I lived, I bought a house right before grad school, lived there with roommates. And my block, you know, was a third vacant lots. I mean, this was a neighborhood really struggling. Um, despite its proximity to like Magnificent Mile, it was this sort of desolate mm-hmm. area. Um, And that just like baffled me. I don't know, I I found that so strange that there would be all of these vacant lots. What was even more captivating was in the summertime, these quote unquote empty spaces would just like blossom, just explode with scrubby bushes and flowers and leaves and plants and people would hang their laundry and some people would garden and kids would play and they'd become these like instant parks and playgrounds. people would use them. I mean, they became public space in a way. And so that, that was really interesting to me. So I became really determined to find a way to make really beautiful pastoral even sorts of portraits, um, meditations of both person and place, person in place. Um, and so and that like all one. happening in the ghetto. Basically, there's like a kind of natural environment in
0: a very urban environment. Absolutely. And so that's part of what carries through to this current work.
2: Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's, you know, I think ultimately it's this interest in um, kind of flipping the script on urban landscape. And this newer work um, takes into account a kind of cultural landscape and memory and history. So you're looking at
0: Confederate markers, mm-hmm. um, is all, and all of the work in your show is somehow related to the location of a Confederate marker.
2: For this show, all of the works, all of these counter memorials, is kind of what I call them, um, are at the site of Civil War historical markers that are all over the city. So all but one of the pieces occur. I said Confederate, but are there other ones that aren't Confederate? Or are there's Civil pro- War ones that are? You know what? Not in Georgia. Okay. Um, there are like Tennessee is about 50-50 okay. in terms of markers honoring or telling the story of Union or federal troops and then the Confederate troops. There, the historical markers in Atlanta, in Georgia, absolutely um, talk about. You know the union soldiers and there are some accountings of of histories um of federal troops but primarily it's all from this southern confederate perspective and that's what i find so yeah, interesting. as a southerner you notice i didn't even say civil
0: war markers i just said confederate right <laughs> like exactly it's
2: <laughs> totally strange and fascinating to yeah. me as a wannabe southerner or as a (laughs) transplant or whatever i am at this point i'm i'm all confused i'm both perhaps um so yeah so i go to these historic sites that are designated with these kind of human scale historical markers i'm not going to these really large romantic monuments right um but these very kind of Um, unassuming markers so these are more out of the line of the current political debate because it's not really about these are not addressed right these are not being addressed I part of my interest in them is because I find them much more insidious Mm -hmm. um, frankly dangerous Um, they're so pervasive I mean you know we are right now where we're sitting in my studio we're surrounded by three within just a block or two. Hmm. Um, they're all over the place. Wow. I mean, I passed them as I walked to Kroger. I, I mean, they're everywhere, and yet it's really easy to not see them. How many
0: of them are, are there in the there city There are of Atlanta? thousands. What about I don't, in, in I don't
2: Atlanta? know. and I don't have a number. I should know that. But I don't actually know a number within city limits. Hmm. Um, but they are all over Atlanta. They are all over the state of Georgia. They're all over the South. I kind of gotten used to ignoring
0: historical markers. And that's I have fair. To say. Like- <laughs> that's fair. There are
2: a lot of them. Yeah. Um. You know, it took a while before I noticed them, and then it took even longer before I actually like stopped and read them. Right. Um. I think in a place like Atlanta, where we all drive in our cars, it's that much more difficult to, one, notice, and two, actually like stop and read these things, do you because remember the they're first... fairly dense. Yeah, do you remember the first one you Absolutely. Saw? The first it? one is the closest one to where I live. Okay. Um, the title is Attack from the West. And um, I remember I was just sort of taking a walk um, with my husband, and we were passing by. And um, I can't remember which one of us said, well, wait, what? what was that? That's weird. Um, cause I'd noticed the title before because it's sort of this strange chilling title, but again, I'd not stopped to read the two paragraphs underneath. <laughs> so we finally did. Um, and then I just saw them everywhere. I mean, and what was the tack of the West? What was being, oh my gosh. Well, so, so there are these sort of clusters of signs everywhere. So on the east side of Atlanta, There's a a cluster, you know, there's another cluster close to here, the Battle of Peachtree. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are these kind of clusters and each sign carries like a a slice of that sort of history. So what I've done is I've sort of not um, I've sort of skipped around across the city to kind of capture little instances and, and small portions of that larger history. But you really do. I mean, there are walking tours, bike tours where you can go on like a larger route and and understand a, a fuller kind of history. Again, all from a very particular perspective, right? Um, which is something that I've taken um, Offense to, frankly. Um, I got really tired of, you know, walking to the coffee shop and having to quite literally walk around um, these histories of white male war stories, you know, having being forced into a confrontation with these very particular stories. Um, I just got tired of it. Mm -hmm. And when you start to notice these signs, they're in front yards, they're in backyards, right. they're on public ground, they're on private. That's why private. I said I ignore them when I see them. Yeah. Because they're usually some kind of obscure story, too, that you're
0: Absolutely. just Absolutely.
2: Like, they don't quite make sense yeah. without a kind of a larger context so often. Um, a lot of them are in disrepair, too. I mean, there are a lot of uh, markers that are have fallen over that may be missing, um, you know, that are sort of, have just been covered in so many decades of filth and rust and things like that um but you know but they're there and like i said because they're at this sort of human scale at this i mean i'm short so they're slightly above eye level but <laughs> at a kind of human <clears throat> eye level um you know they they occupy space and um in in a pretty forceful um way do they have like a, i feel
0: like i've seen a recent one where they have like QR codes and do they have recordings and things?
2: No, there some of there are other memorials, um, both for Civil War and and other historical sort of events, um, civil rights memorials around right. town that do the QR. I have not experienced a Civil War marker. Those are old. With, the newer ones that are being, right that there are- and and the newer historical markers. Um, Designating historical sites, not just for war, but for other events and people and places. Um, those tend to take a very similar shape, but they're often often slightly smaller. They're different color. Hmm. Um, they are different. And that, too, is interesting to me, that these Civil War markers um, have a very particular look. Right. Um, so and so they are set apart. Yeah, yeah there's no confusion here. Like, they very much... Um, speak to a a particular history.
0: So when you're photographing these things, like I'm looking at, you know, you're getting ready for a show right now. Your show opens November 2nd. That's right, on on Thursday. Okay, awesome. And so you're missing a lot of this work in your studio right now.
2: That's right. It's at the framers. <laughs> is it? On,
0: is any of it online that people can? Look I have.
2: At? I have not posted to my website yet. Okay. Um. That will go live on Thursday. Everything kind of drops on Thursday. Okay. Good. So, <laughs> so it will be available both on my website and SandlerHudson.com. So I saw we'll Sandler Hudson's picture.
0: The one picture that they've posted. It looks like multiple frames are... That's right. Are they on the wall? They have like little sticks coming out from underneath them. They have posts.
2: okay. Right, so that is is the installation um, that will be part of this show. And that is the only piece in this selection of work um, created outside of city limits. So that's actually a piece, uh, a photograph of a historic site in Andersonville, Georgia, um, which is south of Atlanta. And that installation, it, it much like the others, there's a very large black and white um, sort of document of the site. Mm-hmm. So it's a very straight photograph of the site ex- itself. I've gone in with Photoshop and removed the historic marker. So there's a sort of blotchy center area where the marker has been Quote healed over with okay. the heal the, the healing Photoshop brush. healing tool. Okay, so you've left um, the kind of very obvious, absolutely healing very tool obvious mark. glitches and like poorly camouflaged sort of healing tool. Okay, um, but then what? What the piece also, as part of the piece, there are three smaller color photographs that rest against the larger framed image on posts. So, so, so that was me sort of speaking to or mimicking these historic marker posts. So the large image is on the wall, hangs flat on the
0: wall. Are the smaller images at an angle or are they all? They are,
2: they're at an angle, they're leaning. So I actually have, those are the maple poles that will go, that attach to the smaller color frames. Each of those three color frames, and you can see one resting against the wall, has an empty glass bottle atop a photograph, a a photo of an empty glass liquor bottle um, on top of a photograph of cotton. Um, And these cotton fields surround the historic site down there in Andersonville. Each of those empty liquor bottles is a memorial, a counter memorial for the three women um, that died at this historic site in Andersonville, Georgia. So the site itself is um it's called andersonville prison Uh in the south uh, i'm sorry in the north in the south it's called camp sumner (laughs) which is interesting Um, and this was the largest pow camp um a camp that held in the u.s camp that held union prisoners of war um it was only in operation at the very end of the civil war but um, thousands upon thousands of men and three women uh, died there, mostly from starvation and disease. So it was a horrible place. Um, Does the marker have this information? No, not at all. The marker is um, memorializing, honoring uh, the man who ran, led the camp, Mm -hmm. um, Captain Wertz. And he was actually hanged at the end of the Civil War for war crimes. Although that history and that kind of whole story is very much, um, a lot of folks in the South take issue with kind of the way that all went down at the end of the war. Um, There are a lot of historians who believe that that was in itself um, a war crime, hanging Hanging. this this man. yeah.
0: Interesting. And what about the three women? They're mentioned on the marker specifically?
2: They are not at all mentioned on the oh, okay. marker. So okay. with each of these pieces, what I'm doing is I'm creating a memorial, a new memorial to these missing stories from the same site. Okay. So I go to these historic Civil War sites that are, are quite, you know, literally physically marked with a very um, partial history and I research what else happened there, not necessarily during the war or immediately after the war. I remember you talking um, about like
0: uh, one here in Atlanta that when I was at your studio visit, that was like a gay bar. Yeah, or... yeah.
2: There's a marker on the um, north side of Atlanta, a historic marker that is at the same site um, of one of the very first gay bars in Atlanta. Also historical. Um, Absolutely. There's no marker to this bar, um, which no longer exists there. Um, and so, so I just more and more, I, you know, the more I dug, the more I found mm-hmm. these, these uh, stories that, that were certainly unknown to me that I have found to be unknown to a lot of folks that I talked to. And, um, and I fully recognize, look, I'm doing the same thing that these signs are doing. I am presenting a very specific very partial history of this site. However, um, I think that those histories are fascinating and certainly worthy um, of being heard, worthy of being talked about. So in each of these photographs, these documents I've taken of the site, I've removed the marker. But what I've also done is the walls of the frame um, are populated with photographs, memorabilia, archival materials um, that create another memorial to those missing stories. So the,
0: like these that we're looking at here, the frames are a couple of inches deep?
2: That's right. Essentially these are shadow boxes. Mm-hmm. And so the larger black and white image of the site is the main image. So if you're standing you know, directly in front of this piece, you will primarily see this very large black and white image. But if you step to one side or another or if you crouch and look up inside the frame, along the inside of that shadow box frame walls, you'll see a lot of different kinds of images. So I think about when I was, and, and these are documents of uh, memorials that I created for these other stories, mm-hmm. these missing stories of the same site. Um, I think a lot about roadside memorials. I mean, I'm essentially creating roadside memorials for each of these stories, so collecting snapshots and, you know, taping, going to the site and creating a roadside Collecting memorial. Collecting snapshots. So are you like talking to people? I'm talking to you're everyone getting, who will talk to me. And you're getting their personal images. They're some sending of me here. photographs. That's right. They'll send me images. I've gotten images from the Atlanta History Center. They've been an invaluable resource um, for materials, but also just information, um, stories, Facebook has been unbelievably and strangely invaluable in this whole process. Connecting via neighborhood groups. Ah. Um, so you like post on a alum site and say, I'm yeah. at the corner of so-and-so and so-and-so. Does anybody have any history of this? And they'll Yeah. So I have a you know, I've created Google maps, I've posted photographs of these markers. Hey, does anyone live nearby? Do you have stories? You know, I explain what I'm doing. And people have been really receptive to mm-hmm. this. Um you know, I was really worried that folks might feel threatened that that I was sort of threatening this um, civil war history. And I think um, you know, it sparked some some hard conversations with some folks online, as you know, almost any kind of commenting often does. But more than that, people have been really interested in expanding ideas about place mm-hmm. and um, honoring this really, complex uh, history that we're walking over every day. I mean, that's what I love about the South. It's like, with every step I take, I mean, we're sitting in a studio that has housed all kinds of Atlanta artists long before me. Um, You know, we're sitting on this campus that has been all sorts of things before it was the Atlanta Contemporary. And I love that. I love that strata of memory and history. And I particularly love Digging through it and trying to find hidden gems, and not all of these counter histories or counter memorials are to big epic events. Right. One of the pieces is presents a counter memorial um, for a woman whose boyfriend broke her heart at that site. I mean, and I, you know, what I find that I found the story really moving, mm-hmm. um, and certainly something that I could identify with. You know, that most folks can identify with a heartbreak. Um, You know, there are places in Atlanta and elsewhere when I'm walking or driving around, I'll see a place, I'll see a tree or a building or a rock. And I'll instantly remember something that happened there, a text I received, you know, a conversation I had or didn't have. Um, Those stand out to me. Those become sort of that place becomes infused or um, invested with that history, good or bad personal or political um, it's it's there so you're not advocating
0: it any what you have no kind of idea about what should happen with these markers or there's no idea. I certainly like, have
2: opinions about do. that I'm, I I don't claim to hide that but um, I am I am also not suggesting that we install historic markers uh, right. on on sites where you know my boyfriend broke up with me right <laughs> like that's not the solution here. Um, I'm just proposing that we recognize that each of these places holds a lot of other stories, stories of women and children, of immigrants. Um, These are not only uh, places that carry a history of white male war stories.
0: Right. And it's interesting to me that you've been thinking about this for a while now, like much longer than the current Debate has been going yeah.
2: on. Yeah. yeah. When, when all of this um, Civil War monument memorial um, news kind of hit, uh, I really didn't know what to think. I didn't know if this was good news or bad news for my work. Right. I mean, speaking really personally. I'd say it would it, be good news. You well, know, maybe. All PR I mean, you know, or am I just sort of riding the <laughs> coattails um, of our president here with all this drama? But um, it certainly has provided me with a lot of reading material mm-hmm. um, and has cast this current work in a whole new light, for better or for worse. Um, it, has, it has certainly kind of amped up, um, you know, how, how public this has all become. Is, I don't
0: know. Is there anything else you want to say before we close up here? We've been talking for about 46 minutes. Oh, no,
2: a- no. I'm, I'm just really... This is great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm excited to see what what the reaction is to this work. Yeah, thanks so um, much. It'll be for fun having... to see it on the wall. Thanks yeah.
0: so much for having me into your studio, and I look forward to seeing the show at Sandler Hudson. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Super chat with Kelly Kristen Jones. Kelly's show, Cotton is Still King, opens this Thursday at Sandler Hudson from 7 to 9 p.m. and runs until December 8th. We mentioned in our talk that Kelly received the Mint Gallery Leap Year Artist Award and was the post-MFA Faculty Photography Fellow at the University of Georgia in 2013. These are just the beginning of her many recent awards and fellowships. You can find out more info on her bio, see images of her work, and information about her exhibition on Sandler Hudson's website or on Kelly's website. There are links to both on the Peachy Keen page at VivianLiddell.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you all will also check out Brain Fuzz Podcast to hear me talk shop about my own work with Joe Camusa and Matthew White, in advance of my solo show, In Search of Lost Time, which also opens this week at Parlor Atlanta on Saturday, November 4th, from 7 to 10 p.m. It's a one-day show, Small Scale Works, which I'm super proud to say were all created since my iDrum show this summer. You can find a link to the Brain Fuzz podcast and a link to the Parlor event page at VivianLiddell.com. That's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L.com under the Peachy Keen tab. If you've enjoyed these first 10 episodes of Peachy Keen, and would like to help support the podcast, I encourage you to leave a review on iTunes, or consider donating by looking up Peachy Keen on Patreon.com. Until next time, I hope you all have a Halloween that is a little bit scary, a lot of fun, and candy, but of course, most of all, Peachy Keen.